0: oh what a day what a day we're in person we're in, we're in person by the way we're in my bedroom in London oh yeah oh yeah okay. here Richie you were in that big boy oh, give me that podcast
1: juice this is uh, a bit of a this is a bit of a temporal mind feck yeah for the listeners and us yeah because we've just recorded two interviews back to back
0: back to back in different. Parts of London that are very far away from each yeah. other. And uh, to get to London, I had a bit of an ordeal. Yeah, you did indeed. What happened?
1: I turned up to Dublin Airport yesterday and Aer Lingus, I'm <laughs> going to name them, <laughs> uh, completely <laughs> fecked up with um There was some wind interference that delayed the flights and it ended up with my flight being cancelled. But my half flight, my half five flight was only cancelled when I got to like half 10 and they left <laughs> everyone waiting and just sitting around like ages until then. So I had to scramble to get a flight this morning and mm. now I'm here very sleepy, but mm. we
0: did it. We did it. We did it. We did it after two, two, recording two great interviews with Sandwich in the middle was at uh, first what we thought was a terrorist attack when we were in Victoria Underground Station. Unrelated to the interviews. <laughs> unrelated, unrelated to the interviews. It just happened, but it really hampered us getting around. And then also the second venue for our interview had a bit of a, a bit of a character Associated with it, but he's actually worked his way into the show, so <laughs> you'll be hearing more from him. This Fuck episode, me running, um, but we, we don't have a lot of time because you're taking off now to go to Greece. <laughs> well, not to go to Greece first; I have to go to Bristol. And well, then... Gre- Bristol's
1: kind of like the Greece of the UK. Um, if I knew enough about either country <laughs> to make comparisons between them, th- of course, yes, yes, yeah. they but... both they both have ancient
0: mythologies. <laughs> of course, they do. Yeah, but you, you have thrown off immediately after this, so this has to be a short cold open, so I might just have the theme music cut in mid-sentence. <laughs>
1: So the news, let's quickly talk That's about the
0: news. Blast last it.
1: Okay, we're getting pretty close to recording time, so I'm pretty sure that this news will still be relevant by the time we get there. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump finally took down the Iran deal. He's been
0: talking about that for a while. He has.
1: He campaigned on it. Once Obama made the deal back in 2013, Trump was like, it's terrible. i got to go to such much bigger, bigger deal, bigger deal, better deal. It's, he said it was the worst deal ever created in history. So it's everyone's surprised that it took him this long to actually tear it down.
0: Break it down for me in like two, three, rhyming, break down <laughs> for me to a rhyming couplet. And I'm just going to drop a sick beat. Okay. And a want... Uh, okay, just just tell me what. Okay, the it. EU
1: and a couple of other parties, including America, got together and did a deal with Iran in exchange for promising not to make nukes for a couple of years and breaking down a lot of their nuclear material capabilities, banking capabilities. They would be allowed to uh, sell oil and sell other stuff, which is important because it was really fecking up their economy. So... Donald Trump didn't think that America got enough. He thought that they could throw it away at any time. He's not the only person a lot of Americans- didn't get enough. He thought that they should have held firm and said they would have only allowed the sanctions to be lifted off Iran if they 100% promised never to give up nukes or even never to get rid of the sanctions until the regime that's in place at the moment fails. Okay. Big asks. Big asks. Not not what the parties that wanted to keep it were thinking, because the EU have been trying their bestest to lobby Trump to keep it. They haven't succeeded. Mm. He has pulled America out of it. The sanctions will now be enforced. Big problems for the EU. They want to keep it. But businesses that are going to operate in the, in Iran and the US are going to be breaking American law, mm-hmm. which is going to be a big problem. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. So not good. Not good. Not, not good. Going, not going to turn out well. Not, another, so not another, a good news story. Another spanner in the work from Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. One of many, mountain of spanners at this point. He's just like, a, he's like a, one of those tool, tool sales people in one of those stores. that only sells of. spanners. <laughs> yeah. You know, the woodies that didn't survive. Yeah. Spanners. Yeah. It's, it's
0: just called spanners, but with a Z at the end. And at the start. More spanners. B- <laughs> More bad news. Oh, of course. Um,
1: Ireland has developed its own scandal to do with government government services, quite similar to Windrush. Mm-hmm. So, there was a scheme in Ireland for women to get smear tests to check themselves for potential um, threats of cervical cancer developing, and it turns out that the that the smear tests that were given are not great, and lots of women that were told they didn't have to take um, measures to, to 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 stop getting cervical cancer. Develop cervical cancer, many of them have died, and there are now women that are terminal still alive.
0: Mm. The, so the 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 system was flawed. There was false negatives, like false negatives, yeah. like
1: not even the system per se, but the actual testing yeah. itself It didn't work. What happened was that the HSE, which is the Irish equivalent of the NHS, the healthcare system in Ireland, um, outsourced it to an American company. It turns out that American company were not great, and this isn't necessarily because they outsourced it because it was cheaper. It's Ireland did not have the capabilities to do these tests on such a large scale so they had to get someone else to do it and Mm -hmm. they didn't do a good job and it has caused a lot of mayhem for these women obviously destroying many individuals' lives yeah, horrendous and as you can tell the government classes have not dealt with it very well. Why it, would they? Yeah, it took weeks for the head of the HSE to resign. He eventually did. And he's already retiring soon anyway, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, It turns out that as he was in the HSE, he got permission to be on the board of an American company, unrelated to cer- cervical checks, but still not great. Yeah, it doesn't look good. It, yeah, I mean, he's not supposed to have any time to do anything else except for this very important job. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody has been made accountable. Um, nobody has been able to explain why it took a, what one woman... Taking the government to court over this to to break anonymity and get claims, and nobody has even said why the government challenged her when she evidently has proof that the test didn't work and mm. she was let down. The minister for health, Simon Harris, who's very busy at the moment working on the Eighth Amendment, has this also to deal with. He spent a lot of time going, "I'm really pissed off." Not good enough because he's also in charge. He has to do more than just saying yeah. "I'm pissed off." Yeah, and indeed, the T Shark is also saying the same. Right. right? Um, it's not likely that he. Simon Harris is going to lose his job like Amber Rudd did over Windrush mm-hmm. because he is also simultaneously carrying the can for the Eighth Amendment.
0: Right. Which is a big fetter in his
1: cap. Yeah. And he, the, the government is quite happy with the job that he's doing on that. So he probably will weather it and the shock will as well. But after this, it's just another example of government failing to deliver services for people. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Um, an interesting development in the Eighth Amendment campaign. Ooh. Google and... Google, Facebook, Google, um, Google, <laughs> Facebook have declared that all foreign paid ads for the Eighth Amendment are banned from their platform.
0: Okay. So uh, Irish paid advertising for the eight is still allowed on Facebook.
1: Yeah. Um, but nothing, nothing that they can't, unless you can prove that you're paying from it from Ireland, you can't, you can't get okay. it. Um, Google went one step further the next day mm-hmm. and said no advertising at all. No so Eighth Amendment too, stuff. Yep, no Eighth Amendment stuff on YouTube or Google, which is huge. It's massive. it's massive. The No massive. campaign says that they had already bought €40,000 worth of ads for Google. Wow. And uh, they're just going to get that back. It's been refunded. Okay. Like, the, the deal is off. Yeah. Um, people expected that perhaps maybe two to three million was being spent by the No campaign and its supporters. Wow. And it's not clear where all that money was coming from. Oh, so they're thinking foreign... Suspicion investment. That's what the suspicion is, yeah. And mm. um, the no campaign are jumping up and down. They're absolutely livid. They say that this is an intervention by liberal companies into something that, that like a political issue that they're not happy with. Mm-hmm. The yes campaign are quite happy with it. Right. So, just judging by who's happy, who's not, you can tell that this is obviously going to help one side more than the other. At right. least that's what people expect. Yes. Um, it's an interesting example. So, the reason they had to do this was that there is no f- laws in Ireland over funding. Mm -hmm. and online advertising Mm -hmm. and that is what you could call a failure of governance and then the fact that Google and Facebook made their own decisions Mm -hmm. means that they are companies in Mm -hmm. what's the free market doing I feel
0: oh this is a loud segue. I can hear the segue grinding from one track into the track it's trying to segue into. It's gonna kill over. It's you, go, it's you got go, to balance the segue. Oh, Steve, you got you giving off captain You, you <laughs> can't take no more. You got to correct this segue, Steve. <laughs>
1: like, you no, know, I'm going straight forward. I'm going off. Get all cylinders flying. <laughs> We're gonna go
0: for it. So okay, I'll, I'll bite. What am free market, Steve? I'm very glad you asked. <laughs> Fuck. These are getting more and more convoluted. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't even
1: prethink that one. That one just rolled off my demented, tired mind. Pre-think.
0: <laughs> I'm making up words You know when you think too. before you think. <laughs> pre-think. Pre-think.
1: Okay. Mm. I am not an absolute proponent of the free market. In mm-hmm. fact, I am a bit of a free market skeptic. Right. I am not so much of a free market skeptic that I don't believe that it has certain places in society because 100%, yes. Of course. If somebody wants to buy something and somebody wants to sell it and it's not going to hurt anybody else, all means, let Mm -hmm. that happen. I, however, do not believe in the same way as other people believe that it is an absolute good. Okay. Which, so I'm going to give a little premise, Mm -hmm. a little Stevie explanation. Yeah. It is not by any means a definitive explanation because this is a topic that many people have many different views on Mm -hmm. and... Uh, no, nobody has a definitive explanation. Right, yeah, it's a complicated thing. It's a complicated thing, yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't think it was fair for that to just be the only, Stevie Take to be the only take, so mm-hmm. that's why we contacted two very fine individuals from mm-hmm. the Adam Smith Institute.
0: Yeah. Who? Um, wh- wh- what are? The Adam, what is the Adam Smith? What am the Adam <laughs> Smith Institute? <laughs> Adam, is, oh my God, my English has been ruined by this show. <laughs> Adam
1: Smith, Adam Smith B, <laughs> he, he B, basically the founder of modern economics. He was uh, uh, an academic in Scotland back in way back when who came up with the idea that there was some sort of an invisible force that kind of regulated why people bought things the way they did and how business kind of worked mm. without the intervention of people actually doing it. It was just like you had this supply, you had this demand, and it came in together and it worked. Mm. He he was the first person to put that into like a concise idea and he called it, it was a treaty called the Wealth of Nations. Mm-hmm. And on the basis of that, he's called the founder of economics. The science of economics was able to develop. And now we've got to the point where it is essentially taken for granted that, right. that it works. I mean, in this liberal the Western democracy that we have—it is just taken for granted. So, just to give it a more in-depthy take before we turn to the two contributors, mm-hmm. um, people believe that this supply and demand thing works just like physics and
0: biology works. It just happens.
1: You can cut that out. That's
0: it. <laughs> no, Nobody that's talks. staying. <laughs> physics and biology—they just happen. You can try and stop a bit Hey, oh, Steve, you know also it just works chemistry Ooh. between you, between you and I. <laughs> I'm so tired. It's, so stupid. it's been a long day. <laughs> the problem,
1: free the problem. marketeers will say, mm-hmm. is that whenever government try to influence this supply and demand curve. And that's what causes the problems mm. and societal ills. Mm. Not that society causes, not that the free market causes it. It's that government is the one that steps in. So they mm. basically So it's want, a delicate
0: balance and any sort of external stimuli yeah. might mess with that balance is yes, the argument. Yes, like
1: a, a force, like some sort of a, like a force stronger than the system that actually forces people to make decisions that they wouldn't rationally want to make themselves right. on the basis of supply and demand, mm-hmm. free trade. It like people that believe one hundred percent in it who would be called libertarians. They're not that common, right? In 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 modern politics, people kind of say, okay, there are certain things that the government should step in and do. But in general, people that are free marketeers would say, yeah, but only if the government is the only only entity that can do that. Okay. It's, this is this. This debate has been going on for ages. I mean, essentially, although it hasn't taken the form that it has today, you could say that the founding fathers, like Jefferson and Hamilton, were having these debates back back in way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the New Deal of but the pre World War Two days, mm-hmm. um, there was a huge resistance to FDR when he tried to bring massive government intervention into the economy to try and help after the Great Recession in America in the thirties. Mm-hmm. Equally, when Labour took over after World War Two in the UK and put in a huge public spending program that included the NHS. There were people that crowdfile and said that this is just going to end in disaster. And then they considered themselves proven when a lot of these systems kind of broke down around the 70s or so. And then you had the rise of conservative politics in the UK and America in the form of Reagan and Thatcher, who were heavily influenced by free marketeers, especially one particular dude called Milton Friedman. Mm -hmm who I believe Matt references as our hero. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Either Matt or Sophie, I can't remember (laughs) who's one. His eyes glazed
0: over and he look look wistfully off into (laughs) the distance.
1: This ideology anyway that Milton Friedman influenced, that became known as what's called neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like a pretty strong thing still going these days. Mm -hmm. And people use it as a bad word. I found out today that some free marketeers actually use it as a proud yeah. um, description of their own ideology. It's mm. fine. Um, but around the 90s, you had left-wing politicians, basically in the guise of Bill Clinton and Tony Blair, who kind of high-fived and said, we can get this free marketeer thing and this government intervention thing and smoosh it together mm. into what we're going to call the third way. Mm. And that's like a centrist, bit of best of both kind of world.
0: Right. But it wasn't the best. It didn't of both work out so well, well. No, I mean we had pissed them, everyone off. Pissed everybody
1: off. The left weren't happy because there was too much free marketeering, yeah. privatization. The right weren't happy because there was too much government intervention. When was this? Uh, the nineties and into the two thousands. Okay. I'm
0: trying to try to, <laughs> to figure out if I was happy with this back when I was nine. Y- your Pokemon cards, per- cards were still. I was, was going to say Pokemon, Pokemon cards. It all depends on how my Pokemon, what well, my Pokemon situation was at that time, and whether it was happy or not.
1: Like, I mean, it essentially did continue all the way up until the Great Recession of 2008, when that really polarised the two parties. And we're still living with the after effects of that third wave becoming the, being the dominant force. And now you could say that the polarisation between left and right that we see in UK politics and American politics Mm. and certain other places in Europe is really a backlash to the 90s and like the the attempt to, to merge these two ideologies together. So anyway.
0: Yeah. That's all sounds really great, Steve but I'm sick of hearing you talk absolutely I'm fed up with your shit and I want to hear two new voices
1: okay yeah that's fine I understand that I mean I'm sick of hearing myself talk to you that's why I'm going to finish explaining who these people are you're going to hear afterwards and then I'm going to go sleep on your floor <laughs> and that's just about
0: it you got to catch a train to I was going to say train to Greece but a train to <laughs> a train to Bristol so get You're get go there. to Greece take
2: me to <laughs> <Yeah>. Segway, ahoy!
1: <laughs> okay. Sophie Jarvis. Mm-hmm. She is a policy advisor at the Adam Smith Institute, already mm-hmm. afford mentioned. Um, she is a fantastic human being who knows an awful lot about free marketeering. Mm-hmm. I seen her on Twitter, giving it socks about these kind of issues, so mm-hmm. I reached out to her. Um, she has also written for The Telegraph and appeared on the BBC and a few other bits
0: like that. We, more than us. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We've barely ever appeared on the BBC, <laughs> except that one streaking incident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, well, yeah you yeah. shouldn't have done that. It. You don't, you know, don't have me how to live my best life.
1: Uh, so she happily agreed to come on the show, and she took along uh, Matt Kilcoyne, who is the head of communications at the Alan Smith Institute as well.
0: What a get! What a get! How do we? I, we didn't even plan it; just these things just happen. <laughs> they when just showed s, up. When <laughs> you're as good as we are, shit just works out. <laughs> Except uh, for all the terrible things that went wrong today. So we started off as we
1: already start off, where no one's actually sure when we start recording. Yeah, <laughs> but um. Yeah,
0: I think we'll just take it from take it take it away past us.
1: What do you guys say when they when a, li- a liberal lefty comes up and says, "OMG, I'm so sick of you guys, annoying me." Like this is on Twitter, so obviously that's what it is. <laughs> Hashtag you guys hate poor people. So like what kind of what does that elicit in your minds when you guys are trying to go about so 90 mean,
3: percent of our work is about trying to reduce the budgets. Oh, sorry. Re- reduce the spend that people um, on low budgets have to spend because of government regulation. So uh, most like of it is about making most of it is about making their lives richer. Um, so I find it a little bit jarring. Mm -hmm. Um, usually I don't find it that jarring because obviously, you know, they, they associate us because of 40 years of reputation, um, with, with, you know, with privatization, with uh, deregulation and they think that this is evil. Um, I think it increases people's spending power and makes them freer. And so I don't have a problem with them having a different like way of doing it. But like, but the, the, like the biggest things that we do this at the moment are, um, on housing, um, london housing is like is like dublin housing right here it 's like yeah. unbelievable it 's actually a real problem in the english speaking world it 's a huge problem mm. in the english speaking world uh, because we all ration housing um in fact and planning is a very large part of the of the housing market um and all of that leads to huge enormous costs it 's about thirty five percent of the cost of um of of land and housing in the u k is purely down to regulation from government and some of that 's good right like you know we don 't want fires you don 't want on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can
0: strongly agree with that yeah. sentiment <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, and then some of it is really poor decision making by central planners who think that they know what people want better than they do themselves so um, we have the, the Greenbelt is designed to sort of is a zero development zone around London which means that you can't build housing in it um, and and this is replicated around the world um, it's called a green belt, which makes you think of like nice rolling, pleasant hills. Yeah. Um, but it actually includes things like petrol stations this near used car parks. This used, yeah. But
2: what's interesting on the housing stuff that we're doing is that we've got massive support from the left as well.
3: So yeah, we, we do get left. Like yeah, at the moment, one of our biggest backers on the green belt is a Labour MP called Shevlin McDonough, and she's she's come out this week very publicly with the backing of some right-wing organizations who've been banging on about this for a couple of years including ourselves um and is getting a huge amount of traction like Mm. um purely because what we really want to do is make it so that your rent goes because rents have increased over the past 20 years by about 400 500 pounds per person in central london um that's 400 500 pounds they can't spend on anything else they have to spend it on if you want to live here you have to spend that money Mm. um and then what we want to do is make it so that you can spend that on anything else that you want and so we're trying to get government out of the way so that actually you get 400 quid to spend on whatever else you really mm. want to spend it on uh, you know be that a holiday be that you know, your fast food burger that or your, your 400 pound
0: fast food burger <laughs> yeah <okay. laughs> and so what are the steps you you take to to go towards that vision What are the practicalities of it? Uh,
2: We sort of do like a combination of like media work. So we discuss, is that what you meant? Sorry. sorry. Yeah. So So we discuss with the media a lot. We sort of, Matt and I are sort of very good friends with all the journalists. So we sort of talk to them about our ideas and how we can sort of develop them. Um, And then we also sort of have regular meetings with politicians. Um, So it's sort of like two, two faced really, journalists and and politicians. There's a very
3: public side and there's a very sort of private side. Mm. Um, The public side is is obvious. We go on TV, we go into podcasts, we go on uh, newspaper, we write for newspapers. And we pitch ideas out all the time, and we say, "Does anyone want to listen to this?" And we'll go on you know, radio shows and and bash it out with people who are on the other side. Um, I don't want to say bash it out on,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like a fight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, like yeah, a, yeah. a fist yeah. okay. And wrestle over regulations. <laughs>
3: yeah. um, and then you know, on the, in the sort of the behind the scenes stuff, um, we'll go and meet some civil servants, we'll go and meet um, some MPs from both sides, and sort of plan. Like How this issue will become much more public, basically you know, a lot of the fight in in is behind the scenes, but um, the best the, the chance you ha- the, the biggest chance you have to change things is when the public becomes aware of an issue mm. um, mm-hmm. most of the time the public don 't aren 't aware of an issue. Um, and, as soon as it becomes public, then it rackets up what people care about. So I think if you'd said the housing crisis five years ago, no one would have known about it um Now, everyone knows there's a housing crisis mm. we've been We've been talking about this for a long time. we've got a lot of other people talking about it now um the you know people from the other side or like from from slightly more nefarious backgrounds, shall we say have made immigration a big concern. Um, Most people don't actually have a problem with immigration, but as soon as it's mentioned, it becomes a huge sort of bogeyman that they like to talk about. Um, we're very pro-immigration. Um, the Which time. is
2: something that I think, so going back to, because you, you asked a very good question on like how is it jarring that you're sort of always uh, made out to be the bad guys and everything and everyone's like, oh, you really hate poor people. That's something that people really get our uh, think tank wrong on immigration is they, they just assume that anyone on the right would not like immigration that's bad, whereas we're sort of very pro-immigration and realise the benefits of it. Um, so I think that's that's always quite an interesting one for yeah. people. And we're spending and, a lot
3: of time trying to convince politicians to be very to be yeah. much more open about their actual feelings on immigration, um, because a lot of them are very pro-it. A lot of businesses are very pro-it. A lot of normal people are very pro-it. You know, we all know the various people who've moved here, who've married here, who've, like, built their lives here. Um, and Reagan in the 80s was hugely pro-it. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, he just talked of a, a shining city on a hill. Um, and if it had to have walls, that they, were, that they had doors that were open. <laughs> um, and it was a city filled with commerce. And it was a very beautiful vision that he sold to the American people. And it was very open to the idea of immigration people coming to, from around the world.
1: I like that you brought in Reagan because um, we, we switched our first joke uh, icebreaker question, <laughs> but it was going to be. And yeah. Sophie, I'm going to direct this one at you. Um, so do you agree that the most terrifying thing to hear for yourself politically, ideologically is, mm-hmm. hello, I'm here for the government and I'm here to help? <laughs> <laughs> Another famous Reagan line. Um, like, I think that,
2: you have to, sorry. Does sorry. that kind
1: of sum up like in a, in a glib line what you guys are about?
2: Um, not in, not entirely. I mean, Matt might sort of disagree with me on this one, but I, I think the government can be of help uh, in certain circumstances. You can't, the free market isn't the answer to everything. It's the answer to a lot of things. Um, but we, we, were, we were chatting earlier and we were saying that I think prisons are something uh, and the police and parts of healthcare are things that the government are better at managing than the than yeah. the private sector yeah. are. So, so, th- so are our sort of like
3: glib line is that government yeah. should do what only government can do. Um, so the we talk about you know people always sort of we're not libertarian we're neoliberal um, that that bogey word that you only ever hear at universities is like a, an evil neoliberal shill um, we're actually the only people you know in the UK that will very happily go yes that's us actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, um, yeah there are things which, which markets don't necessarily improve the outcome of the world for so like a market in nuclear weapons for example is not nothing that I'm necessarily going to go out and fight for I don't think mm. it makes the world a better place. Um, A market in housing does, um, because it allows people to exchange property that they own and it allows them to go from you know, various sizes, places that they want to be. It makes their preferences satisfied a little bit better. Um, and that's. So we generally believe in markets, but there are things that only government can do and therefore only government should do.
2: But we work on a sort of evidence-based approach is that if we're given new evidence and it says something to, to the contrary of what we you know used to believe, that I think that's why the Adam Smith Institute did change its name to being neoliberal as opposed to libertarian because we sort of accepted that there and we were proven uh, wrong that there were some situations 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 where, uh, you know, the government are better at running things. Do you have have
0: examples of some of those situations?
2: Um, you, You...
0: Apart from nuclear weapons. <laughs> so uh, I mean, one of the one of the ones is uh, if if let's talk
3: about like drugs, right? Um, at the moment, we all know there's a huge black market in drugs. It already exists. The market already exists. I can
1: neither um, confirm nor deny this fact. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah, and uh, I'm just I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, and the um, it, it exists uh, at the moment. There's a prohibition from government, um, which is a very strong prohibition. So there are sort of like three or four different ways you can you can change the law change the way the government runs the first is um,
1: so you've gone in with the assumption that the current system doesn't
3: work well we know the current system doesn't work because it, it firstly it very much operates under the radar but is hugely harmful you don't know what you're taking you, you pay over the odds sometimes it involves trafficking it has huge amounts of negative externalities based on what the government does um, and it doesn't do it very well like it, <laughs> it, there is still coke on the streets and weed uh, in the parks um, uh, and also, I mean, I'm not suggesting the royal parks are growing any weed, by the way. by there. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, they are, but they book, they bring
3: them up, you know, when they
1: spray or Grow. Miracle Grow, the anti Miracle Grow.
3: <laughs> uh, and um, so, but there are sort of three, a number of ways you can do it. Firstly, like you know, the government could license it; it could give it, uh, prescribe it for, for like for medical purposes, but nothing else. Um, it could decriminalise it so that everything is available; no one would be arrested. Um, But there would be no oversight of what it is that's being produced or why. Um, And then there is the um, regulation approach. That means that you have to produce Mm -hmm. a certain quality. It's sold in certain shops. It's like there is a tax on it. Um, And the the basis of that is a sort of harm reduction approach. right? But we all know there's an externality to people doing too much coke or doing too much weed. Like there is people smoking too much or drinking too much. Um, there's a social cost that has to be borne. Um, and what, what, we, what we sort of believe is that the best way to make sure that that cost is taken in by the people who are, who are doing it um, and borne by and they have to pay it um, is to have a tax on it, is to have it regulated so that you know what you're buying, that it's good quality. And you can make a much better informed choice as an individual knowing that certain it's, uh, it's, it's like when you go to a sh- corner shop and you buy a bottle of whiskey, you know it's 40%. If you buy a tisky lager, it's 5%. Um, and so you, you, you're very well aware of what you're buying when you go and buy skunk on the street you don't know what level it like you' firstly you end up going around a back alley or you end up getting in someone's car which like exposes you to danger um, or and you don't know how strong it is um, and there's an incentive as well for like especially we've seen in the UK um, fentanyl um, which is a heroin replacement um, has grown, sort of four or five times faster than heroin use but it's sort of It's displaced. a replacement and it. it's like a one-to-one thing
0: or it's like a, a sister
3: it's drug It's much stronger or, It's, oh, a, it's stronger. a sister drug okay. so it's a synthetic version of heroin Like
2: spice is to weed
3: yeah, um, never heard that either.
2: Uh, we're so behind we're in <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> We're
1: still organic, you know, yeah.
3: regular heroin smokers. You're, you're very much not actually. You're actually further ahead. But, we'll, uh, but the oh. fent- fentanyl is a, was a, was made in China and is sort of shipped over here. And and one of the reasons is because dogs haven't learned to, well, at the time hadn't learned to sniff it out. Ah. But also, it's about a thousand times as potent. A
0: thousand.
3: Yeah. So you you need to very much dilute it, but people don't. They fail to do it, right? And they buy it thinking yeah. it's heroin, and they overdose very easily. And this yeah. is what's
2: happened with Coke in particularly in London at the moment. That's getting like stronger and stronger. I think in, throughout the whole of the UK as well, and people are sort of yeah. It's good it news because it's
3: very pure at the moment. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> by, by now. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by.
2: <laughs> um, but to go back to the question, I think on where where we sort of maybe learned that privatizing everything isn't the best idea all the time is particularly america i think that's quite a good like blueprint of what happens when they privatizing so as i said before the prisons so there's lots of examples in america of where the judges are sort of bribed into taking longer they have shares in the prisons and they're sort of like they extend people's prison sentences so there's more people in there so the prisons are making more money and that's just like obviously i don't think anyone would agree with that and that's clearly has the wrong incentives and it doesn't have the best outcomes also their health care system is abhorrent i think in the States, Um, it's not free at the point of access and they have wrong incentives over there because when you go in and you stay with them, uh, they sort of want to keep you in as long as possible because they just sort of view you as a money making machine. So there are are limitations of the free market and I think the smart thing to do and which is what we try to do um, is to sort of like yeah to to weigh it up so to sort of assess when it's good and when it's bad and I I think people from all different sides should do that as well mm-hmm. um, and I think something that Jo Cox said um the, one of her sort of famous phrases was before she was unfortunately killed was that you know we have more in co- we have more in common that divides us and I think that's something that frustrates us quite a lot I think when we see in government is that they're all sort of squabbling it's like a literally like a punch and Judy show and it's like we literally like we're all human like we. You know, I'm sure we know we all want the same thing it's just you have different ways of getting there so it, they should sort of discuss that as opposed yeah. to just name calling saying you're the bad guys mm. we're the good guys so. I think
3: my sort of favourite thing in the pubs around Westminster is that every now and then you get a, a Labour staff or a Labour MP who sort of comes up and goes I actually really like the Adam Smith Institute <laughs> <laughs> so they buy you drink. Yeah, well, sometimes they buy a drink but I, you know, I'm not going to name names <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we're, we're one of those ones where it's um, yeah people people have a have a sometimes begrudging admiration and sometimes, um, you know, deep-seated hatred. But also we have the people that sort of go, actually, on this issue, we agree. So uh, last year, we quite regularly host events for young people. We have the largest youth outreach of all of the um, think tanks in Westminster. Um, Sort of a network of 16,000, 20,000 or so. So it's quite quite a broad base. Um, And they do very much come from very different political backgrounds. Um, And... Um, one of the, we, we last year we had Owen Jones um, from from the Guardian Fame and know yeah, Momentum Fame. Very um, famous
1: lefty for anyone that doesn't know. So yeah, <laughs> hard, hard lefty you could say. <laughs> he's very a hard, hard, hard lefty, uh,
3: <laughs> and he came. He came along and did a speech about where we agree, and um, that was a very interesting talk. For, I mean, we obviously um, knew sorry. where we agree. We <laughs> yeah. obviously knew where we agreed, but um, yeah. like not that many other people had ever really bothered to think. You know, he's a guy who, if we were on TV, it would be diatribe after diatribe yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing, and quite use, he quite often uses our name as like um, the bogeyman. Um, which I kind of enjoy You have to, to, (laughs) uh, like, it's always very nice. Like, I think, I think our best piece of marketing is that on the 20 pound note, you know, our guys on, (laughs) on every 20 pound note, everyone in the country knows who Adam Smith is because he's, he's there. Whereas, yeah, that kind of brand recognition, you can't buy, frankly. Um,
1: you
2: can't um, have Karl Marx on a £20 note. We're not having you? Karl Marx no.
3: on a £20 note. Yeah. Has that been brought
2: up <laughs> <laughs> for
1: his birthday? I, I didn't see that. Uh, I prefer, don't give Owen Jones ideas.
4: <laughs> <laughs> He's a big fan. Yeah, it started here. It started here.
3: <laughs> oh,
1: he would definitely criticise our podcast for not being anywhere near left enough. Yeah.
3: I mean, free markets are one, right? Like, uh, in certain ways. Um, because, yeah, even to go to Karl Marx's grave, you have to pay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Really, yeah. that's yeah. hilarious. I love that's this
4: the,
1: so uh, much. In and it's
2: and it slants to the left as well. It's uh-huh. on the oh. hill. Yeah,
1: well, the communism museum in Prague is above a McDonald's as well, which I thought was another <laughs> <more beautiful laughs> symbol of how the system was gone.
3: But in other ways, you know, in other ways, the free market is on is on the decline. Um, the, in the UK, various sort of paternalistic politicians are trying to pushes in a direction that is a bit more controlling, a little bit less free. Um, I think one of the so let's like one of the ones that's come up in the UK at the moment is a sugar tax and um, sort of a junk food ban oh is that the like the
0: Jamie Oliver spirit headed thing yeah. he's always talking yeah, yeah we well, yeah, say yeah.
2: we've had enough of add enough which is, which is <laughs> add his, enough yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. And, so, uh, so he basically has this campaign where he's trying to sort of ban any advertising of junk food to children
3: yeah I mean I could say he should spend more time fixing his own restaurants rather than trying to fix everyone else's dinners but um, this is you could say and you did so. and I could yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but he's, you know, it's quite bizarre that the, that the state broadcasters are giving him a slot for an hour a week, um, for him to basically... Hey. <laughs> hey. So we obviously just had a very bad experience with the free market just there. <laughs> yeah, right right there. If, if
0: there's a very weird editing point, it's because we had a very weird interaction with the people who operate the space that we're renting right now.
1: Half thinking we should cut it down and put it in. <laughs> yeah. That's so right. This episode is sponsored by...
0: the that that fucking we- dickhead <laughs> and his shitty business. What's the opposite of a sponsorship? I'm leaving this in. That's This part's in the show. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> oh, yeah.
4: You know, I'm now. I'll that, that, feel kind of, that kind of, by
0: the way, that kind of like feedback
3: loop is like really important in markets. So, um, we, one of the ones that we mm. like to talk about is like Uber and TripAdvisor. Um, the very first, um, the very, very first sort of. TripAdvisor review uh, that we have in like recorded history is a is a tablet to by a customer called Aonazir, which is in um, which is is an, an Ur-based or Sumerian-based um, trader, um, and he was complaining about copper ingots and how this guy had ripped him off, um, and it is a it's a really quite sophisticated like um, attack on. This uh, on this trader, and it's based in the British Museum. So if you ever get bored and want to go and see it, it's up there. Um, and what it se- what it shows is firstly that they had a complaints mechanism. Um, he sent this letter to him, and he also delivered one to the Temple of Bar in Bart Il Bar in um, in Ur, and that's where this this tablet was found. Um, and it says, I went to, I went to get, you know, get to get the copper ingots I'd already paid for. Um, they were, they were not good quality. This is, you're the worst trader I've ever dealt with in my one entire life. Star. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one
0: star. It's like, it's like a classic
3: TripAdvisor. Yeah. Um, and it's like really obvious that firstly that they had like this, this mechanism. So that there was a, a semi-state regulator that, kept a track um, and that it was like it's survived and that it was very obvious people could go and pick this up and like go oh would I work with this guy and read and be like no um, but that kind of like what the point of that is that it provides an information like de- decreases the information gap between someone when so when you go and like book a place for a meeting mm-hmm. and you know nothing about them you can go look it up and see what's the reviews what see Richie's make. terrible review that he's <laughs>
0: about to leave after this recording <laughs> the They're same thing right.
2: happened in Pompeii actually outside the brothels, they'd sort of write like so and so's name in graffiti. <laughs> so this is. is a really, they, re-
0: they reviewed the volcano after <laughs> <your office. laughs> one star killed my family.
2: <laughs> and yeah, they they you can imagine kind of kind of things they'd say. They say you know the puella, the girl, you know Sophia, whatever, you know isn't very good at blowjobs. Give your own name don't, in this situation. <laughs> sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> your don't. parents didn't visit that place before you went right, around, did they? <laughs>
2: That's actually where I was, I was conceived I'm oh, I the <laughs> Italian job In my family Oh my god <laughs> Anyway
1: Wait was that her nickname? Was that the prostitute's nickname? The Italian job? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was that? Was that after? It's, it's just like a sort of no payment He did apologise it wasn't a great apology, <laughs> but the words sorry were present in that sentence, so I guess that's something. Just don't, we're not giving him cash though. No, like, not at all. I'll pay him in like a sock full of pennies or something. <laughs> uh, once again, where were we? We're talking about Pompeii. Oh, you you know where you were conceived.
2: What's- I do, I do. Well, because my family called me the Italian job. So when good. you say your family
0: Is it more than just your parents? Like is yeah, yeah, everybody grand, Grandma
2: as well oh Which god. is yeah uh, Anyway But no The, the She point wasn't is... there
3: We'd just like to <laughs>
2: <laughs> Go, go, go <laughs> Oh my god but I think the point I was so trying to make... So your mum left a
3: great trip advisory outside a brothel <laughs> in yeah. Pompeii. The point is they
2: had a review system as well with the prostitutes in um, in Pompeii as well, in ancient Rome.
3: Yeah, and it's, a, it's that kind of feedback loop that allows markets to work very efficiently um, because some of them are very inefficient because you only deal with them on a one- one, one-off basis and therefore like, you don't know whether they're going to work and actually there's no incentive for it to work over it like, for a long period of time. And sometimes that's good, right? You know, I go to the corner shop and I know the service I'm going to get, like... Um, but and but you know, sometimes I like working with my barber and actually I prefer them to know me and con- continuously. And actually having a review system means that I know that that's a good one to go to in the first place and allows me to have recourse if it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it keeps them honest, it keeps everybody buying and that's the kind of thing that...
0: But I thought it was quite an interesting tip. Yeah, this them. business could uh, could stand to listen in on that little <laughs> <deal of> conversation. <laughs>
1: what about... When government steps in to provide for things like social services for the people that um, end up at the at the at the bad end of the of the market, whose parents weren't maybe as successful in life, and so they're born into it, is it just a bad roll of the dice? If that's how you ended up, or should the government step in and provide more help to those kind of people?
3: No, that's exactly the kind of thing that government can and should, and because only the government would, and we all agree that there's a social good from providing people opportunities. Um, But I
2: think to prevent people from getting there in the first place, or to maybe sort of try and like lesser (laughs) uh, the extent of their poverty, that they should do things like reducing tax, like something something that wasn't really shouted about, uh, unsurprisingly, in Jeremy Corbyn's campaign is that he actually wanted to reduce uh, the personal income allowance, which is like the bit that you don't get taxed on, um, from eleven thousand pounds to six thousand pounds. Now, you tell me a family that's on like fifteen thousand pounds, they're not going to be very happy. They're now being taxed on five grand extra like uh, and so for, uh, for me that's what really winds me up when i get told i'm a nasty person because i don't vote for jeremy corbyn and i say no like if you actually looked at his policies like he wants to like he
3: would end up a fight, making people worse off. Yeah, and, and um, that's
2: that's our thing that we don't think that the best way you could the best way you can help people is to reduce the amount of tax they pay. And these are the, this is, these aren't like the rich people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people at the bottom of the um, the bottom of the scale. You reduce their tax. You don't say, oh, we're going to put more money into I don't know state cinemas or the you know the NHS or, or, or things things like that. I think the best thing you can do is to literally give them more money. Um, there's a great example. There were 13 homeless people in Australia recently that were given three grand each, which is double what the state, um- Spends on the average homeless person, and they now all own homes and have jobs. So I think for something that Milton Friedman, one of our heroes, says is that you just you when you get given money yourself, you spend it a lot better than anyone else does, or you spend other bet you spend it better than other people's. So people, I yeah. mean,
3: for, in terms of like, I think it's quite patronising to assume that the state is, is able to provide for people better than people, mm. uh, and also knows what people want and need better than they do. Um, there is no middle class person that sits there and is like, oh, if only the government government spent all of this on my behalf they would do a better job so they're very happy to do that for poor people that they're very happy to be like oh well, you shouldn't give them money they should give you, you know give them food stamps so they have to spend it on food rather than spending it on alcohol or whatever but then at the end of the night they go and buy a bottle of Beaujolais and uh, take away and feel you know feel nothing they don't think anything about that but um, when someone goes and buys a can of Stella Um, they look down on them they think that they are making bad choices Um, and that that their choice is just as valid as as yours they just don't have as much money if they had 20 grand extra they would probably do pretty well for themselves and be pretty happy about their lives and they wouldn't want government involved in, in the same way that they do
2: and this kind of principle is true as well so with the sugar tax obviously that's on that's on sort of fizzy drinks poor people generally drink more, you know, more fizzy drinks than, than rich people do but where's the tax on the really you know super duper uh, fatty sugary milkshake they've got at the ivy there isn't one so like that, that's something that frustrates us to all and we feel as those sin taxes so the massive hike on cigarettes um, the sugar tax um, the sort of stuff like that that, that hurts. That's the poorest, the hardest. And that's something that we... But they
3: always manage to make exemptions for themselves. For the, yeah. And it's, you know, you're never going to get... You don't get a cheese tax. Uh, I'm, no. I'm sure Jamie Oliver has got or it one ready, ready to go. But Our you get report, it on... But you do get one. Well, yeah. And, and, and like alcohol duty is really interesting, right? Because um, government likes like, to likes to go and push its own native industries in a protectionist way. So like cider from the West Country... Um, doesn't have very much tax on it. It's very tax efficient. Uh, beer, craft beer as well, very nice, nicely tax efficient. Um, but if you are producing a lager, um, then heavily taxed. If you're producing like whiskey, very nicely produced gin as well, very nicely. And tax- these are just how they do the, the different.
0: How they define each of these alcohol types yeah. are just different tax rates. And then, and then they give them those. different,
3: yeah, they give really? them different brackets, different subsidies. And then also the, the way that the escalator works. So it goes up in every year on, to, on various um, alcohols. Um, and the, the ones that MPs drink the most, oddly enough, are the ones that they don't tax as much. Um, when you said
1: escalator, is that like a term that you guys use? Uh, so for? no,
3: so it's, um, it's a, a government term and it means that every year at the budget, um, it would naturally go up. So they okay, say it so will like go up by this much every year. Over five
1: years, it will go up this mm-hmm. much.
3: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes they freeze it and they make a big fuss about how they've frozen it. And it's like, guys, you, you wouldn't need to freeze it if you hadn't said you were going to do it in the first place. But That's but <laughs> yeah, a pretty
1: clever uh, political tactic. All
0: right. It's
3: a lovely political <laughs> tactic. It's bad policy. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, like, you, you were mentioning social care. Um, so for us, obviously, the social care has to be provided. Um Is it best provided by a state producer, or can the state pay private producers to do it? Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, the the evidence suggests, in things like healthcare and social care, actually, um, so long as it's free for the people who are using it, um, it doesn't really matter whether it's done by the government or done by a private sector um, body. And actually, it's cheaper slightly to do it from the private sector and has better results. Is that Um, just because of the efficiencies of a there are some efficiencies of scale um, there like but also like Competition within it keeps them honest. Yeah. Um, so this
2: is how most of the European healthcare systems are run, and they have far better health outcomes than both the US and the UK. And they spend, I think, very, very marginally a little bit more on healthcare per capita. Um, and over there, they still have the principle that it's free at the point of access. And obviously, for those people who really don't have any money, they they can obviously still use it for free. I
3: mean, you guys so, are Irish, right? so like, have you have you tried getting a, a GP's appointment in London? or in whilst you've been here yes I had one actually this week <laughs> <laughs> did it was it great was it did you have to wait three weeks for it
0: no I, I booked it on Monday evening and I had it on Friday this is so Friday. impressive I've literally never heard this yeah this is so yeah, good. I,
3: I, I, yeah Monday I say, but usually when I meet Irish people they're like why do it? Like, if you pay fifty euro, I think in, depends. Yeah, yeah, between depends. forty and sixty. usually. Between forty and sixty, mm-hmm. um, and that makes you go. Frankly, it makes people turn up to the to the appointment. Um, one of the things that happens in the UK is it's free, so people block book, um, and they go, "I have to come like every once every two weeks." Well, you only so pay they, if you go. Yeah. Oh, do you not pay if you don't go?
1: No. Well, how can they? It's just like a, any other. Um, product or service you buy you pay for it after you get it oh wow okay yeah but if
2: you fail to turn up there's no there's no, no charge no. That's okay.
1: details on file that's insane <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: we think they should i think i think that'd be quite a good
1: yeah a deposit scheme hey, but is it really. isn't it isn't that big a deal like people cancelling appointments i've never heard of that as being a problem oh I I really
2: we get texts from the nhs saying cancelled appointments cost us x amount of money a week really? come yeah that's like a big thing here actually yeah yeah, yeah. they
1: do I, I understand that principle that like if um if you're expecting to get something for free, you're just gonna you're going to be less inclined yeah. to to yeah, to value tre- it, yeah, to treasure it as yeah. well. And mm. um, so we've talked a bit about politicians and the good and the bad ones. Um, generally, you guys are associated with conservatives, and in UK, you'll, luckily, it's called the Conservative Party. Is that generally it's fair to, to say? Who you guys, <laughs> to it? it's to remember. It's, <laughs> nice,
0: it's a nice mnemonic device. Yeah. Is it generally
1: fair to say that you guys would lean towards supporting? those kind of parties or so as an institute
3: we're separate as individuals we all have our own preferences
2: mm. but I I think it all I think it all depends on the current political climate so at the moment I mean we've got a socialist that's on the opposition um, and we have someone uh, the Conservative Party are currently very socially illiberal which we all can't stand we're all very socially liberal um, and she she's um introducing energy price caps um she's she's not we are. I would vote Conservative, like if I had to. But like, I think we, our ideology comes before our, the party. So yes, we're more aligned with Theresa May than we are Jeremy Corbyn. But I think for all of us currently feel in the office at the moment that she's definitely not a leader by any means that we sort of agree with on a majority on of the issues. Things, yeah. so, it, so it completely depends really um, on sort of which way... Well, the sort of political spectrum th- th- is they're so- very big
3: tents, right? Yeah. Like, um, I actually don't really know which one is more right-wing in Ireland, Fine Gael or Fianna but
1: Both of them claim the other one is.
3: <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> um, but it, in terms of in, in the UK, um, I have voted personally for the Lib Dems, for the Conservatives. Mm. I think I once even voted UKIP on one thing <laughs> um, in a local election because i really hated the green who was standing against them and it's, it's that is a real bad choice like <laughs> for, for me personally it's like oh, which one do you go for um and um i voted yeah i voted for those 3 I can't see myself voting for a Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn. No. He's a, for, yeah, for me, he's a communist. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> we always say um, that we
2: vote for policy, not politics, basically. So, yeah. if, so if a Blairite government uh, got in, you know, with the opposition tomorrow, and they had people like Chuka Omana, who's who's really cool, um, Jess Phillips, I re, I really like her. If they had sensible Labour people in. Basically, I vote Labour tomorrow. So it's not really that we're aligned to any party. It's just we care more about the policy than the politics. Yeah. Um. But yes, traditionally we are known as. But we're against, not going to
3: go and vote. Trump. Like, yeah. like, let's be honest. Like, we're, yeah. we're we're conservative. We're neoliberal for a reason, right? The, the point of the 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 monarch and neoliberal sort of for us means that you take the world as it is, um, and uh, you you work with what you've got, um, and you try and push people in the center ground to sensible policy, evidence based policy decisions. Now, if you've got an ideologue. Um, on one side, or the other, they're just as bad. Mm. Um, they don't. They, they don't listen to evidence. They don't listen to argument, um, and you end up just going around in circles with them. And I think Jeremy Corbyn is one of those. I think Donald Trump is one of those. They're very good populist politicians um, who speak to segments of the population that have kind of been ignored. Um,
1: Could you have made a choice between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump? <laughs> third party.
3: (laughs) is that horrible? Is this a hypothetical? I I would have voted for Donald Trump against (gasps) Bernie Sanders. Um, I would really have struggled with the the decision, but I would probably have done it. Um, Against Hillary Clinton, yeah, it would have been Hillary, um, clearly. Mm. Um, Although I do enjoy his, you know, the, the manic... Like chaos.
2: That I think he because is he's so bit. I think one thing to say about him is that he's well he's so crazy that I think all the other bad leaders in the world have thought, shit this guy's actually going to press the red button if he gets the does chance. It, so I think they've all been sort of scared into thinking, there's a great sort okay, of neocon we'll
3: quote of uh, from the 60s about like an American president has to have his finger on the button and the world has to think he's crazy enough to press it. Like, like, well, that's, that
1: was um, Kissinger and Nixon invented that policy over Vietnam. What was it called? It was like the madman theory. Yeah, the madman theory. They had to believe that he was, they had, they had to convince the Vietnamese that he was mad enough to drop nukes on them. But I think it's been pretty much... Um, proven to be <laughs> false. They, yeah, didn't, they yeah. didn't really
0: care. Although Trump, giving it a
1: run yeah, for its money. He's
0: leading right? into this. <laughs> yeah. So, so Trump from a free market perspective criticisms on him
3: so there are some good things and some bad things so the, the good things that, are, that he's done are not him um, they were Paul Ryan um, now Paul Ryan has some pretty bad views on social issues like nearly all Republicans <laughs> like yeah. uh, yeah. this, this is the weird thing about politics right is that it's quite often you, you get big groups that are married to positions that they probably don't need to be and they end up having to defend positions that they'd rather drop. Like, but they can't because that's the electoral calculus it's the problem
1: of the left right spectrum is actually when on social and economic issues it kind of works as a diagonal yeah. between each it's like oh I want to yeah. be a free market and free social issues but I don't have a party to do that mm-hmm. because they want to just pick one or the other yeah, exactly. exactly. So I, th-
2: I think the slashing the income tax and the corporation tax is, I think, for, um, in the short term for poor families is good. But we don't know if he's actually going to get that money back through the economy growing, which is what he's banking on. But his tariffs, his steel tariffs are just silly. Um, I think for every one job that he's going to save uh, in the steel industry they're actually going to lose uh, in other industries five jobs because then steel becomes too expensive and they have to cut costs. So I think the net uh, figure of that will be the people lose out, American workers lose out. So I think he's, yeah, I think he's not, his economic policies aren't sound. Um, is uh, there anything you like that he's in particular that he's done? Or I mean,
3: I like full expensing, which was kind uh, yep, yep. of... So um, it's, it's just a, it's a very technical tax change that has been done by Paul Ryan in the huge tax bill, and it will probably lead to huge amounts of economic growth.
1: I'll take your word for it as somebody who works for an economic think tank, but to be honest, I never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's,
3: we, I think we call it the... Uh, and we've made a thing of this. It's the best idea in politics you've never heard of. Ooh, um, you guys
1: are good at those small ones. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he is the head of comms. <laughs> so
1: That's why you've got the computer. <laughs> um, so, what do you guys? What's What's the free market response to what happened in two thousand and eight? Was bailing out the banks and the financial financial so industry? So glad you asked me this question. <laughs> uh, so,
3: was it a good thing? So, bailing out the banks was it a good thing? Uh, bailing out some of the banks probably not. Um, was it a good stopgap measure? Probably yes. Um, should they have ever got into that position in the first place? No, they shouldn't. Um, we were calling them out for about four years beforehand. Um, we're still calling them out. When you say calling them out, who are you calling out? Government regulators um, for the way that they handle banks. So That's not that, what you thought he was going to say? <laughs> was gonna say that? No, of course
0: it was. Of course it was what <laughs> <laughs> he thought he was calling out. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was getting uh, confused. Think,
3: you know, you, you, <laughs> if, you, if you are working in an industry and the rules are set by somebody else, oddly enough, you play to what the rules are. And the competitive market means that they play to the edge of the rules in many situations. So um, some of them well, what, make lots what of What do you from mean that. when
1: the rules are set by somebody else? You play to those rules. What would you do if you set your own rules? Wouldn't you just not follow rules? And just no, so what, so, like? so
3: what we. There are two, two sort of responses. The first is um, that. So we we have papers out every year, actually, called like looking at the state of the banks, um, whether they're creditworthy, um, whether they are like still doing this kind of risky activity, what's the regulator doing about it? Are they calling them out or are they just, or have they created tests? We call it the stress tests that uh, pass all the banks every single year, Um, sort of tick box exercises. Now, there are two major problems with this. Firstly, it straight jackets them into a single model. Um, So they're all doing exactly the same thing. Um, B, the tests aren't very robust and they're not very good. And actually the way that you game them is very risky. So a lot of so one of the ways that you can reduce the sort of like how risk how much risk you've got on your books um, is by increasing the amount of things that is known as like risk risk weighted assets, um, which are at zero. So you times lots of things by zero, you get lots of zeros. So you end up with a very nice small number of risks at the end. Um, and one of the things that you can put a zero risk or the, in, under the British banking system and under the, most of the European banking systems um, is uh, government debt um, and that for OECD markets. So if you've got Italian debt or Greek debt or Cypriot debt, you can pile this up. Lots of this has lots of risk premiums attached, right? If you're a bank, you go and buy that. It's 5 6% return per annum. So they're making lots of money off this. The government then says this is not risky at all. And they then get passed off but we all know that it's risky. Everyone in the market knows it's risky. We know it's risky because it has a price attached to it. Uh, the reason why it gets 6% and German debt only gets 05 or British debt only gets 08 is because it's much riskier. Now, the way that the, the market works is because the, the way that you should do it or we think you should do it um, is that you... You, you have to do, you ha- instead of doing um, a, re- a look at their balance sheet once a year or once a uh, quarter, I think it's once a quarter, um, you do it on a continuous basis through a market. So you force them to constantly publish their, their um The way that they what they've got out there and why they've bought it on a much more regular basis and then their share price will reflect the actual risks that they're taking and we know that the people think that they're much riskier than they are because their share prices are well below what you'd expect for a Mm -hmm. company that government has said is great and wonderful Um, and so yeah we're calling them out we're still calling them out we expect one of them eventually will go and we'll end up having to bail it all out again. Um, and that will be a bad situation for everybody because actually all you do then is incentivize them to take more bad risks later down the line. And no one's learned any of the lessons.
2: I think, but I think the bot so what we're talking about here is a sort of relationship between uh, companies and regulators and something that, we're really keen on at the moment is with all the sort of fintech companies that are being set up um, the FCA have actually created something called a sandbox which is literally where uh, companies are allowed to sort of play like children are in a sandbox and the regulators sort of like sit on the outside and sort of look in and only um, and sort of let the companies set the regulations themselves I and have sort an of
1: image now of the lo- baby Looney Tunes with like RBS <laughs> yes. and his yeah. and
2: it's, it's more like box like like
3: Baby the, 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 the oh, latest yeah. film yeah. right yeah. you know a guy in a suit like playing yeah. as a <laughs>
2: Okay. Um, and we, we like that idea. We sort of like because I think what to me what the two thousand eight crisis showed is that there's clearly a misunderstanding between the banks and the regulators. And I think maybe the sandbox is going very well at the moment. Um, there's lots of tech companies set fintech companies set up in England because of it. Um, so I think maybe we should sort of aim to a system um sort of more towards that. And then of course you have the issue that fintech might actually just take all the businesses business away from the big banks, so they actually cease to exist. That might that might happen. I mean they're. They're particularly agile and sort of nimble. So we could we could very easily see that happen. Yeah. Um,
3: and we shouldn't be scared of companies going under, the inefficient companies go under. Um, a no. bank going under, the, the too big to fail moniker that came out of 2008 um, was bad news, frankly, because it said that, that effectively that these were nationalized industries that were private. Um, and then would be bailed out by taxpayers. That's basically what we've got. Right? Worst of both worlds. The worst of all worlds. <laughs> yeah. Possible world. Um, and it, there's a really great lesson actually from Adam Smith's time um, in Scotland. There was a huge crash um, in the in the Scottish system based on the
1: Caribbean or something wasn't it
3: yeah yeah it was so there were a number of investments that went badly wrong and ended up the
1: Irish lost a lot as well Richie. that's why we're not rich now they did that's exactly
3: why it's, not. it's also <laughs> that's why we don't have a studio we're in this shitty shitty conference
1: <laughs>
2: with terrible service with mean
3: bullies who bully Richie it's the it's also the reason why America's independent um, a, lot so it the, the a lot of swings <laughs> around yeah, the a lot of so right. many bad things <laughs> why, why am I not a you know a governor of Virginia uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, there should be Steve-ville, okay? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, my name's Kilcoin. I was never going to get anywhere near government in there. <laughs> But the, the yeah, I, so a lot, about nine of the founding fathers lost money in this, in this financial crisis. Um, that happened basically because there were a brand new set of regulations that were brought in to try and rein in what was known as free banking in Scotland. Um, the banks that, that were regulated um, and straightjacketed into do it into a single system all went under, the ones that were kept separate from the system, all survived. Um, it's genuinely quite stunning that we've not learnt this lesson 300 years on from, or 250 years on from when it first happened and we keep repeating the same mistakes Um, and our hope is um, although I'm you know growing less and less confident about it every day um, is that the next time with us having called it out every single time that maybe they'll listen to what we had to say just (laughs) once just just once
0: what's the definition of insanity again? (laughs) same thing or
3: whatever
1: (laughs) yeah Now you guys don't want that because then
0: if they actually listen to you you'd be out of a job yeah it's true right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to have to wrap up now soon because we're We'll do gender quotas and we'll wrap up. So, Sophie, <laughs> gender, quotas is, gender quotas Did someone yeah. say
2: gender I think quotas? I it's like a fan in here. <laughs> so <it's just laughs>
3: Sophie's a famously a huge fan of gender quotas. You are
1: so pro. I just could not get off the Twitter machine seeing you say, hooray for gender quotas. They're the best. This is the best way to fix a problem. That is clearly there. Is that a good su- summarization of your view? <laughs> oh,
2: I can't stand it. They're, i they're, <laughs> The thing is, I think they have obviously very good intentions, but I think the outcome is. The road to hell
3: is paved with good intentions, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I've never been there,
3: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Swindon. It's.
2: they're, they're demeaning they, they they also just don't work so in Norway they've imposed uh, quotas at board level uh, for women's gen- gender quotas on the board and it hasn't seen any decrease in the gender pay gap or um, an increase in the amount of women sort of taking up higher positions or even entering the company so they categorically don't work I think they actually do the opposite um, I know the, the BBC have a gender quota and we recently um, someone in our office got told on the phone the other day uh, sorry you had really good opinions but you can't come on because you're not a woman um, and we they wanted it, it was they explicitly always,
0: said that in the yeah.
2: well I think their exact words were um, so you can't come on for gender balance reasons um, and I just like honestly as a woman like it's something I get I mean as you all know I get very angry about it because it, it doesn't do anything for women at all and it literally just means whenever I get a call from the BBC or from other people that I know have these sort of quotas or targets or whatever when they call me saying like do you want to come on I think is it because I'm good or is it because I'm a woman and it, there's nothing more that there's nothing else that sort of destroys your confidence as much as that um, I hope you asked me on because I'm a woman today. <laughs> sorry, well, sorry, sorry, sorry no. because sorry because
1: because of my no, the opinions. The other one, the other
2: one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I don't think it doesn't it doesn't do women any good. And also, like being frank, like, I think within the office as well. Certainly, it doesn't do you any good within your you know, sort of own circle, because I think if I do get asked on something, uh, like if, if there weren't these gender quotas that, that they were so open about, I think, you know, boys definitely or, you know, the other men in the office definitely look on and think, well, OK, is she actually any good or is it just a woman thing? Um, and so it's terrible. I think the outcomes are really bad from it. I don't know why it's actually counterproductive and it really winds me up.
3: It's patronising. <laughs> it's yeah. it's insulting. It's, it's like the same Sophie, with any kind Sophie of. Sophie has it. like incredible views and goes on and smashes it on media anyway. She like she'd get on if she wasn't uh, like the gender balance of the BBC. But it it is very insulting to like hear for yourself that it's like yeah, and it's and
2: it's the same with ethnic minorities as well. Like if I was an ethnic minority, I'm not, and you but you, and you're just being asked on sort of you know uh, make up the numbers. Uh, I, 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 I mean, do, what do you guys think? Do, do you, you th- disagree? Um,
0: I, I think. I wonder, is it, do you so think, I'm not going to oh, bite your head off you yeah, yeah, disagree no, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Just do you think, <laughs> Richie was definitely afraid of that. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it exists to, to counteract some previous like inherited social structures? Like there was, Yale did a, 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 an experiment, don't know if you heard about, with the CV, the fake CVs yeah. that were sent out to businesses with like Jonathan and Jane. Yeah, yeah. And then the Jane one got less callbacks and like offered $4,000 less in salary do you think it's in terms of like built in uh, biases it works to combat those so much? Um, I
2: think there definitely is something called unconscious bias. I don't think this is the way that you solve it. I honestly think uh, with that, that will just come with time and the sort of more women that you get, because basically, you know, 20 years ago, women didn't necessarily have to work, but whereas now you get like an awful, like most couples sort of both work now. So I think that will just change. But I think when... There definitely
3: is like an obvious, like there is still discrimination. When you go on, when you go on, when on media and I sort of monitor the social media, um, you get a lot mm-hmm. more abuse, a lot more like mm-hmm. angry, like Yep,
2: And oh. that was proven with the uh, with the, in the recent election. Like Tory female MPs got the most abuse by far, yeah. um, and it was the same with Labour. And look at look at the way Diane Abbott was treated in the local election. I mean, it was just okay. She was a bit useless, but. I think a lot of the comments that were targeted towards her were not just because she was a bit useless um, it's because I think she's a woman and she's an ethnic minority and you know I think we all saw Boris in those interviews and he, he was bloody awful like he was really, he was equally as incompetent normally said anything so I think yes it's definitely an issue um, but I don't think the quotas is a way of solving it and as I said before they will actually do more harm than good because if you do and the, the big problem is if you ever get on anything people just think you're there because you're a woman not because you're any good and that's right, I mean my, Dad I think went, that
3: undermines the long-term success of women in the yeah.
2: workplace. Um, so yeah, even if you are any good, people don't think that. Um, and it's happening every, like, I've got a lot of friends who work in the city, like my dad included, and they just, they can't believe the extent to which companies are now sort of just promoting any woman they can mm. to uh, to make to make their gender quotas and, or, you know, gender pay gap what not better. And it, it literally just creates more resentment. And I hear...
3: I think it stores up a backlash in yeah. like the worst possible
1: way. And
2: I hear very sensible, sane men slating women being like, oh God, she's only been promoted because she's a woman. And so it's not doing anything. And I don't and, know if
1: that's true or not? You, yeah,
2: No, but I, yeah. from the people, and this is anecdotal, but the, the, from the people that I've been speaking to about it, they are not sexist men. But they are very angry about it, and I would trust that if someone was promoted because they were a woman, but they were also good, they wouldn't say anything. But we just don't know. This is yeah, you just don't a know. It
1: could still be the automatic reaction because the quota yeah. is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah, I also yeah, think yeah, like
2: exactly. this kind of
3: like this this kind of culture war, um, or it, it stokes a culture war, and that's the kind of thing that leads you to the populist politicians like Trump, uh, because it really yeah. does. It, it so I think that's that what's kind of happened over
2: the, in, in the states is that they've they've taken this whole snowflake idea too far. Oh, you can't, you can't say anything because someone might be offended by it. And what it then actually results in you electing someone like Trump, who is obviously not PC in the slightest and isn't sort of bothered about ever offending anyone. So I think, I think, yeah, it sort of, it spirals and it's sort of, it's there's like definitely there.
3: still the potential for this in the UK. Now we had it with like Farage and UKIP, um, the, the Brexit referendum killed them because it, that raison d'etre got taken up by the two largest parties um in delivering it the but but that kind of you know laid back Farage, who's the guy in the pub who has a cigarette and a drink and tells you you know tells you the rude jokes that so definitely there's definitely still an undercurrent of waiting for someone who has that like and and that, this kind of action yeah. stores up that kind that of problem that problem will get
2: bigger i think because people will just get fed up of you not being able to I don't know, make make any sort of jokes perhaps in the mm. office or when people yeah, are getting always, preferential I, treatment because they are an ethnic minority or they're women. So I think, I think it will get worse and worse and worse. And then, yeah, you end up with a very sort of angry white man situation, which is what you see in Charlottesville. I mean, like they people had like, I mean, I know it's America. People had like guns there and they, that was like a sort yeah, of big... But I mean... And I, I worry and that if you...
1: It, just the challenges on it. I don't think necessarily saying the only reason we shouldn't be politically correct well, is not to offend people. is because the people who would like to offend people are going to get offended. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily the best way to do it. But look, just in case we offend the fellow who's already interrupted us three times. We better go. We better wrap it up. Um, thanks very much, you guys, for coming yeah, in. Yeah, this and has been fantastic. We can 100% say that this was not gender quota. But well, we
0: did get... We got a boy and a girl. We got a boy and a girl. So uh, if it was... <laughs> <so>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we he
0: passed. He was grading us out there.
1: <laughs> These two snowflakes are going to go home yeah. happy. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.